You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. And real quick, I'm going to do this real quick. Exodus Trail Cameras, kick-ass company, ran by kick-ass people, and it's a kick-ass product. And you can buy this kick-ass product if you go and visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you enter the discount code 9FINGERS, that's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS, you will receive $20 off of your purchase. I'm keeping the intro short today because I want to. Today, we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Dan Keller. He is a CPA out of Pennsylvania, and today the topic is taxes, and if you're a landowner, how you can save taxes, save on taxes when you buy your property, sell your property, or potentially gift that property to somebody else. So without further ado, here's today's podcast with Dan Keller. All right, everybody. I am here with Daniel Keller. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Now, I don't even know how to really transition. Like, you know, typically I say, hey, man, how are you doing? What are you doing for, you know, what do you do for a living? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, a little BS. But we're going to talk about what you do uh, for a job and how it can actually help hunters who would love to buy land buy land and some of the uh some tips and tricks and information that we should all know when going out and buying that land um or you know planning for that land so first off i think what i want to do is just ask you how did your 2017 hunting season go uh first off first i want to thank you i I think you what you do and uh, some of these other young guys get into the industry, like Mark Kenyon and uh, the Land and Legacy guys, um, Adam and Matt. You guys are awesome. 
you know, you guys, I think, represent the hunting community in just the perfect way. It's not about killing that big buck. That big buck's kind of cherry on top, and it's all about the stories and the camaraderie, and I love that you guys do that, and I want to thank you for all that. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I tell you what, we love doing it. So as long as uh, there's guys like us out there and we have stories to tell and, and all that, uh, I think uh, we have uh, we have enough content to keep everybody busy. Yeah, I do. And I think you guys are the future, and uh, I'm excited for that. Perfect. Perfect. So my 2018 was, or 2017, I guess, was kind of a, a bust. I don't – I'm kind of a weekend warrior. I don't get out as much as I'd like. I took my rut vacation. The weather was perfect. Uh hunted morning night for a week straight and nothing uh i missed shot right over probably a nice three-year-old's back so and where do you live that what sums state? it up i'm in pennsylvania i live in pittsburgh i do a lot of my hunting in northeast up in uh the northeast pennsylvania so crawford county gotcha. uh, area and uh it's tough hunting you know it's not the midwest but i love it nowhere else i'd rather hunt um but yeah, man, it's uh, it's an area you got to take your uh, whoopings and yeah, you know, yeah, keep now, getting after now it. Now is Crawford County pretty close to Philly, or is that further north? No, we're, we're I'm north, I guess northwest. You're uh, kind of smokestack up by Lake Erie. That'd be uh, where I'd spend a lot of my time in outdoors. Okay, all right, yeah, and you know, I've had several people on this podcast who are from Pennsylvania. And, you know, every time I talk to somebody from Philly, it, you know, I hear the words like tough, it's tough, you know, pressure, all, all these things. And, and if a guy can get out there and be consistent when they're talking about the state that they hunt in like that, man, that's a, that's a good thing. So how, from being from Pennsylvania in a, a quote unquote tough state, how has your success been over the years? It's been... I measure my success, I guess, in maybe opportunities I've had, which I've yeah. blown a lot of them. So, uh, you know, I, I had a good run maybe a decade ago. And I had actually, I was living in Buffalo, New York, for probably about three or four years. So I did a lot of public hunting up there. That was that was tough. But, uh, you know, since I moved back, I, had, I haven't been able to tag my buck. I'm pretty selective. I'm not, you know, I'm definitely looking for a three-year-old. Um, you know, I got enough two-year-olds on the wall. So, uh I would say I have not met the level of success that I like, but you know what? Every year I get an opportunity and, uh, you know, this year I shot right over once back and, uh, that's how it goes sometimes. I guess. Yeah, man. I shot over a, I show shot over a pretty big eight pointer this year and, uh, I, I was pretty bummed, but you know, I then realized that yes, it sucks to miss, but at the same time, uh, that experience right there, just being that close to a mature whitetail is, is, is a success all in its own. Oh, and, uh, you know, when you're in a state like Pennsylvania, I always view it a lot of times as like, you get one chance a year. I always feel, um, especially as much as I get out where, you know, you're a weekend warrior, maybe one, you got your one week rut vacation. So if I get that one opportunity, it was a good year. If I capitalized, it was even better here. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's get into uh, what what you do for a living, and, and we're going to talk about how that um, relates to hunting and land and all that stuff. But tell everybody 
what do you do for a living? And tell us about, I guess, what some of your daily, weekly responsibilities are. Well, I'm a CPA uh, here in Pittsburgh, and uh, my expertise is mostly, it's pretty much everything tax, but uh, usually I'm very focused on the personal side of it. Um, you know, I got clients all over the country. I've been, that's pretty much my quote unquote day job. I spent a lot of time just working on just tax returns for people everywhere, uh, different situations. And, um, but as hunting's always been an interest to me, and I think I speak for almost every hunter is they want to own a bunch of land someday. And that's the, the dream. That's why we get up. That's why we go to work. I, I started getting into the taxation related to buying, selling land, um, end of life situations where you're getting ready to hand it off to your kids or your heirs or donate it to charity. And that stuff really interested me. So I've kind of the last couple of years, uh, uh, you know, kind of just a specialty when someone asks, I like to be the go-to on that. And, you know, I've helped some people out and uh, it's truly one of those things that I really like to do. Uh, waking up every day doing a tax return isn't fun per se, but when I get to help a hunter uh, save some money so they can put it back in their land, that's always a good day. Good, good deal. All right, so let's talk a little bit about that then. For you know, like you said, it's a dream of mine to someday own land. Right now, I've I've talked to real estate agents uh, before, and they've yep. come on and they've you know said their piece about planning and, and all that stuff. But from, from your point of view, what is the first step to, let's say, I know I want to buy land, whether I am financially, you know, whether I have the finances to do it right now or not, what are some of the things that I should plan for or be looking at, uh, preparing for, um, to, in order to do that and take that next step? Well, I think, I think any realtor would tell you, you know, you got to have a good down payment, um, especially if it's not going to be your, your primary residence where you can get, you know, a much bigger loan, not as much down payment. Um, if it's just going to be a piece of land, maybe with a little cabin on it, it can be tougher to get financing. Um, that's so, so I would advise people, you know, make sure your credit's good, get that up there uh, and try and save as much as you can. If you can get up to that 20, 25%, now you're in a ballpark that you can actually pull this off um, without maybe taking out another mortgage on your primary residence. Or uh, so that would be the steps I would take before purchasing. Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's probably some other things you can do in terms of, you know, shopping for a loan. Not really my area of expertise, but right, right. Uh, I, I think a realtor would be a good person to ask for that. Gotcha. Now, what about taxes? Like before, like, is there anything you have to do in advance as far as taxes are concerned to make sure that that may help you along with in that process? I don't know about beforehand. I mean, obviously you want to have uh, good rep- record keeping, especially if you're a business owner and someone like you who has a side gig or running a podcast and websites you know, definitely make sure you're keeping accurate records. Uh, you know, I laugh all the time. I have people, they don't ever want to pay taxes. You know, they're always trying to beg me to get their expenses down. And usually I'll let them get aggressive, maybe not too aggressive, but 
But then the time comes when they go to get a loan and the bank says, well, you only made this much money. And they said, well, I made more than that. Well, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Either you made, so if you're, you know, be truthful on your taxes, but also keep that in mind is when you're going to buy something and you need to show that you have more income, you better be able to show that. So don't get too aggressive sometimes. It could be bad. Right. Okay. Now, in regards to buying land, all right, you've, you know, we, we do the whole realtor thing and we, we, we find the piece of property that we want. We have the down payment. We, we get the land. It's ours. And you mentioned something before we started recording that I wanted to bring up again, and that was setting your basis. Now, why don't you tell us what that is? That is number one thing you should do when you buy a piece of land. Everybody's like, hey, you know, I'm going to put a food pot and I'm going to do this. Uh, set your basis. It is vital. Um, so let me explain. And I'll give a little example as I'm going to this. What we need to do when you buy this, well, first let me back up a little bit. When you, when you decide you're going to spend, let's say, 100 grand on a piece of land, um, even though we're using this for personal reasons, uh, a lot of times hunting, recreational, you know, it's 100 grand. I mean, it's an investment. It's not, it's not play money. This is, so you need to treat it like an investment. So, when you have that investment, you have to figure out what your basis is in it. And usually it's what you pay. So if you pay a hundred grand for your property, your basis is a hundred thousand dollars. But here's the question I always have for clients is, do you have it allocated? Do you have it allocated amongst what you bought? So I live in the Northeast, uh, timber country. Um, what's your timber worth? And what, if there, is there a cabin on that? What's your, what's the cabin worth? So let's, I, I can give you an example. So what you're going to want to do is you want to, you want to have these items appraised. So you're going to want to have a forester come in. You're going to walk them along the land you just bought and say, Hey, how much is all my timber worth? If I were to clear cut this, how much could I get? And let's say they say 60,000 bucks. You bought the land for 100, so you're feeling pretty good about this. So then you bring in an appraiser or a realtor and say, you know, what's my little cabin worth if it was just on half acre in this neighborhood? And they might say, oh, that's worth uh, 12 grand. And then you ask the realtor, you know, if I clear cut all this woods and it was just junk woods, clear cut, brush, what, you know, the least valuable land out there? least valuable earth out there. What's, what's that land worth? And let's say in this uh, example, they say it's worth 48,000 bucks you could get for your land. Well, if you had all those separate things that you just allocated out, and I just gave them that example, the 60 for the timber, 12 for the building, 48 for the land, you'd come up with a total value of 120. But you got it for 100,000 bucks. So you have to make a calculation of what, what is my timber worth? So with the example I just gave, the 60,000 of the total 120 would be 50%. So you would take your, what you paid for the land originally, 100,000 and multiply it by 50, and that's your value in the timber. 
So your value in your timber is 50 grand, even though your forester might say it's worth 60. And then you keep going through the 12,000 of 120 would be 10%. So your building would be worth, or I'm sorry, uh, 10 grand. Yeah. And, uh, you know, $48,000 of land, the clear cut land would be worth, uh, of 120 would be 40%. So your, your building would be worth, uh, 40 grand. So, so you got 10 for the building, 40 for the land and 50 in the timber. Do you follow? Somewhat. Yes. <laughs> I apologize, but I think it'll make more sense as we go. So, cause you're probably thinking, why do this? I don't care. Right. Exactly. Why do we need to do this? So all the time, this happens once a year. I get somebody calls me up. They bought land a decade ago and they say, Hey, I just got 30 grand in proceeds from selling timber. How much do I owe in taxes? And I ask, well, what's your basis in a timber? And they say, I don't know. And 10 years down the road, you know, you can't go back and set basis in timber at that point. You might be, you know, timbers increased in value. Trees have grown up. Um, so I end up saying, well, you got to pay tax on all 30 grand. But let's, if we go back to our example and let's say you meet with a forester and you're, you're going to, you know, uh, I guess what it's where I want to say, you want to cut down some trees, thin it out. You want to open up the canopy, get some sunlight hitting the ground. Um, so you and your forester say you're going to take 25% of the timber. Okay. And, and you get this documented by your forester that you're taking approximately 25% of the total timber and he cuts it down. So, but let's say a few years have passed and now that he, that 25% timber is now worth 17 grand. He's going to give you for it. Well, you get to use 25% of your basis in that timber. So 25% of 50 grand is 12,500. So instead of paying tax on all 17 grand that he's giving you for this timber, you only have to pay tax on the difference between 17 grand and 12,500, which is 4,500 bucks. Okay. And at a 15% tax rate, you're only going to pay $675 in tax. If you don't set your basis, you're going to have to pay tax on all 17,000 and you're going to owe almost $1,900 in tax. So that instantly saves you $1,200 or I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong on that. The 17, 15% of 17,000 is about 2,500. So you end up saving almost $1,900 in taxes. Wow. And, and I see it. Go ahead. A lot of people don't take advantage of this. No, they don't. They just, they think they don't, they don't plan. They don't think it's ever going to be that important, but it is, you can imagine if you have timber value, you better, you don't want to pay those taxes. You want to avoid those as long as possible. Now, if I back up a little bit, so what's your, so after you sell that timber and you decrease your basis in your, uh, your timber on your balance sheet by 12,500, your basis in your property that you once bought for a hundred grand is not a hundred grand anymore. Now it's 87.5. You have to decrease that 12.5 in timber. Okay. So, so let's say a handful of years down the road, 
Well, I don't, uh, <laughs> I guess let me, uh, we'll stop right there. Um, so that's how, that'd be your new basis. You'd have a new basis of 87.5. And I think that's a good place to, to stop for now before we get into the selling of land and having to pay tax okay. later so, on. So is this, is this uh, an official document when you set your basis on uh, initially on the value of, let's say, timber or whatever it is on your property? Is this something that is an official document that you have to fill out and turn into somebody or you just have to keep record of it? You just have to keep record of it. You don't, there's no form to file, but you want to keep record of it. You want to keep record of your appraisals of the cabin of the, you know, stumped land, uh, the, the foresters appraisal of all your timber. You know, if you keep all that records, you have, you, you can, you have your evidence that says, you know, this is what it's worth. So that's the number one thing when it comes to taxes, whether we're talking hunting land on a small business or just your personal finances, you got to keep good records. Right. Right. So here's an, here's a question for you. Obviously trees mature and trees mm-hmm. grow and, um, you know, you, you dip into that, that basis, right? So you, you're not, you're, you save $1,900 on that initial, uh, timber harvest. Uh, so mm-hmm. you don't have to pay certain taxes and then your, your basis goes down to match what you've taken out of that now. Correct. So what happens when, you, you know, 10 years later you can do, you know, your, your value of your land is maybe back up to, or the value of the timber because the timber has matured is back up to that. And do you need to, to get your, uh, a reevaluation of your basis? No, see, uh, your basis is always going to be what you put in and what you take out. So even though the value of the trees increase, it's not that's not going to change your basis. Your basis is going to be changed on what monies you invest into the property and what monies, in the case of your timber, what you took out. Okay. So, but it is a good point because if you do a, a good select cut in 10 years, you theoretically should have close to the same amount of value. But then if you take your 25%, you know, now instead of taking um, 25% of 50 in timber basis, you're taking 25% of 37.5. So you further lower that um, timber basis. Gotcha. Over time. So that's only good for a a set amount of time. Let's say I own a piece of property for uh, 50 years. And after 30 years, I've, I've used up that timber basis. I can no longer claim a tax benefit on that uh, if I'm – Yeah. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Eventually, you would whittle it away to zero. But, again, you are offsetting taxes as you do that. Instead of just paying a tax on that you know, seventeen or dollars or $30,000 check every time you get it, you're saving at least a little bit of taxes on it. Gotcha. And that adds up over time. And, I mean, I would rather hold my – 1900 bucks for 10 years and let the government hold it for that long. So, okay. So it's, it's basically all balancing out at the end, right? Yeah. And that's a good point. We'll get to that. When we talk about selling the land, it will all balance out the guy that, um, is paying the taxes up front and the guy that's paying them at the end, essentially when they sells it, it does balance out. But, 
there's again ways to get right around that yeah. when that time comes. So I want to uh, still talk a little bit about the the landowner. Other than you know setting this basis, is there anything else that um, a landowner can do uh, to save on property taxes, or maybe um, I don't know, like if you have to, you know if you mow your property, or if you um, put in a um, you put in a road or, or a gate or a fence, or is all of that stuff can that be a, a write off? It can. I don't like the term write-off, but it absolutely can be. The, I don't. It it can be tax advantageous. We'll put it that way. Um, but you're absolutely right. There is a lot of things you can do now. Um, in terms of generating income or rent royalties, uh, whether there's ways to. I know Pennsylvania has. Uh, you can get your property taxes lowered by saying it's a farmstead and there's different rules you got to jump through, you know, there, that's all probably state individual or, you know, individual to each state. You'd have to probably talk to an expert in your area. Um, maybe somebody, you know, that owns land that has expertise in that, but you bring up a great point. What of the everyday things that I do, do I need to keep track of for taxes? And the word write-offs are deductible. There's only going to be two things that I can ever think of, you know, where you're taking it every year and that's going to be your real estate taxes. You can deduct those on your personal return, just right, right alongside your home ownership property taxes. They're also deductible. And the other thing is if you get a loan to purchase the property, to make this investment, uh, you can take the interest on that loan can be, can possibly be deductible as an investment interest expense deduction. Gotcha. Um, now, if you're running an outfitter business or a hunting show, you know, you, you probably get, there's probably more things you can find on a year to year basis that's deductible. Um, obviously a lease, uh, an outfitting business, leasing hunts and stuff like that. You have a lot more um, expenses at your disposal, but for an everyday person, those are pretty much the only two things. But you did bring up a great point about now those are year to year expenses. I mentioned you made a great point about a road, something that's going to increase the long-term value. Maybe you clear a ridgetop food plot or something like that. Those are not deductible as in you're going to take them on your tax return and write them off, but they do add to your basis. So if you make an improvement such as, uh, maybe you have to put a new roof on your cabin or like you said, put a road in. Yes, those can be, those can add to your basis. So when you sell it later on, you don't have to pay as much capital gains tax on your gain. So that takes the amount of s said project, whether it's a road or improvements, you know, because and, and for, for the layman, explain what capital gains is. Okay, so if, if you buy this land for a hundred grand, and you sell it for a hundred and fifty grand, two years, three years, four years down the road, you have a fifty thousand dollar gain. So you're going to have to pay capital gains rates on that. Um, the capital gain rate is lower than the income tax rate in most situations, depending on your income. But um, it's typically going to be fifteen percent if you're a higher earner. It's going to be 
20 and possibly up to 23.8. So, and if you're really low income and it's low enough, it could actually be zero, but probably most people it's going to be right around 15%. Gotcha. Okay. So when you, so, so that's capital gains. Now, when, when you're the owner and that road, you know, you put that road or that gate that improve that, uh, improves the property, but it could also improve the value of the property. Yes. So how does that, how does that zero out or how does that benefit you in the capital gain well, side of thing? Well, it would zero out when you sell it. So let's say for example, let's say you put that road in and it, it costs $5,000. Um, it, it clearly, I think we'd all agree it would increase the value of the land by at least $5,000, just like a home improvement, a new kitchen might increase the value of your home by a little bit more than you actually paid for it. So, you know, if you bought this land for a hundred thousand bucks and you put in a $5,000 road, you have $105,000 basis. Now let's say in five years, you were to sell that land and you could have sold it for 120. Well, if you wouldn't have done the road, you'd have a $10,000 gain or $20,000 gain. I'm sorry. But if you do do the road, now the road, instead of being worth 120, it's worth 130. So your gain will be 25, the, the 130 minus the 105. So that's where it's going to get caught up later on. But technically, if you probably did it right away and say you put the $5,000 road in and then sold it, sold your land a month later, and it only gave it $5,000 value, probably ends up being a wash. Yeah. Okay. So that that you can think of any other tax taxes benefits that someone should think about as a landowner. I would say save. So let's say you buy this land with a short term. You know, you want to flip it or something. You you only want to own it for five years, and you want to you want to upgrade to a bigger piece of land. Um, let's say you buy a blind. I mean, they're so in right now. You, you drop three grand on one of these blinds. Uh, again, you're not going to be able to write it off on your tax returns, but let's say when that day comes, you're going to sell it and, and the buyer says, hey, I'll give you full asking price, but I want you to keep that blind here. Well, all of a sudden that blind becomes part of your basis. So save your receipts on stuff like that. You know, you never know what they're going to ask you to include. Maybe a tractor. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So a lot of hunting equipment, you know, for the, the normal person that's not in the hunting industry, probably not going to be tax deductible, but there are probably those, those blinds. I can definitely seeing that scenario play out. Right. Okay. So what is it? I thought I heard somewhere where, you know, I go to sell a piece of property and buy a piece of property. Is there is there a tax type of uh, shelter there to where I don't have to pay a taxes? I can roll that money into the purchase of a new a new farm. Like I can do it one time or something like that. Oh, absolutely, man! I'm I'm pumping my fist. I'm glad you know about this. Everybody needs to know about this. This is the biggest part of selling. It's called the 1031 like kind exchange, and essentially what it is is you can avoid that built-in gain that you've appreciated in your property you own. When you go buy that next bigger one, as long as you buy a like-kind property, which 
I think we'd all agree hunting land is hunting land, whether it's Iowa, Pennsylvania, you can roll that unrealized gain into the next property and keep your bases. So let's start with, um, kind of we'll take a step back and what would happen to that person that sold that land that we talked about, um, before they would have to pay the gain. If you sold that land, you'd have to pay the gain instantly. If, if you sold it for 120 and bought it for 110, if you do this light kind of exchange, and let's say you did your timber where you, you took the timber and decreased your basis to 87,000. Uh, if you find a piece of property that say it's a $200,000 piece of property now, but it's five years down the road and you're going to sell your property for 150, you did awesome on it. Uh, you grew some big bucks. People are interested in your land. You sell it for 150. You have to come up with essentially $50,000 for this next piece. Agree? You essentially, you just add that 50 to your $87,000 basis in a previous land. And all of a sudden your basis in your $200,000 piece of property is $137,000. So you just avoided paying that gain on that transaction. Okay. All right. So there's no taxes. There's no taxes involved in, in that transaction. As long as it's all land, if, if you ever got in a situation where maybe, maybe, you know, the hunting blind was included, there might be a little tax on the blind. Um, cause you're not allowed to, use, uh, you're only allowed to do this on a real property, which is essentially real estate. Um, but yeah, there would be no taxes in most cases, a situation where there could be taxes is, is if you actually maybe went to a smaller piece of property where you, uh, soldiers for 150, but only went into a hundred thousand dollar property. Again, you would have to pay some tax on that difference. Gotcha. Okay. And that can only be done one time in your entire life, right? No, I, the way I believe, I believe you can keep doing it. You can just snowball. You could. It. Oh yeah. You do it your whole life. Just keep well, maybe it's different in different states. I thought, in, I think in Iowa, and this I'm not 100% sure about, but I think in Iowa you can do it one time. Uh, but, okay. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, so so now we, we're getting ready to, to sell the property, right? We've already talked a little bit about this. Uh, what, what did you call that? A 13 what? It's a 1031. 1031. Okay. We talked about the 1031. Now, what about as far as selling your property, what are some things as far as taxes are concerned that we have to, you know, really pay attention to so we don't get screwed or we save? Well, I mean, I think at that point, if, if, if you're cashing out, um, you know, make sure you, do, you, I hope you have everything documented. That That's always the best. Um, you know, you're going to get expenses. Your realtor fees are going to be deductible. Um, closing costs, stuff like that. It's going to be deductible. That's a selling expense. Um, as long as you, I think is you have a professional preparing your return, you should be okay. They'll usually catch those things. But at that point in time, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of uh, the tax code in your other situation. There might, it, when you're purely selling it, there might not be just a whole lot of things you can do. You can just, um, you know, you have to pay the tax, but uh, hopefully you made some money and you live with it. Right. Okay. And 
and then if there are let's say taxes that have to be paid after the sale of the of the property uh, anything that they need to worry about once that check comes in and maybe you made a profit or I mean, or for the most part have you covered that yeah there's when you owe taxes they want you to pay in a certain amount um, usually it's either a hundred to 110 percent of your previous year's tax or 90 percent of what you're going to owe in this the, the year that you have to pay the tax on so as long as you have paid in enough to cover your prior year's tax, at least 110% of it, you don't really have to pay in anything early uh, to avoid penalty. Now, if you don't do that, if you don't have enough paid in, uh, they can hit you with a little bit of penalty. It's called an estimated tax penalty. Uh, it happens. It's not a huge number, but you, you know, it can end up being a few hundred dollars. I see gotcha. that commonly. Gotcha. All right. Now, the other thing that uh, I wanted to talk about here is let's say a guy has owned land and it's been in his family for a hundred years or whatever. How do we get that to our children uh, or uh, other family members to the point where, you know, we can pay the least amount of taxes or save money there? Well, this, this is really important. A lot of people don't understand this and then they don't seek professional advice until they actually already did the transaction. They tell their CPA, Hey, I sold my land to my boys or, you know, Oh man, it's definitely consult a professional beforehand. So let's, there's two different, I guess, three different areas we can go into, but first is gifting it. Let's say, you know, you have this land, you own it for a hundred years, basis is like nothing. It's worth a ton of money. We all know somebody like that, right? If you gift something to your children, say, or anybody, they, while you get rid of your tax problem, you give them, you give them your tax problem. So if you have this huge unrealized gain, when you gift something, they inherit your basis. So now their basis is super low. And that's not ideal. When you get these situations when you're getting up in age, you can't hunt anymore. That is, from a tax standpoint, I definitely don't recommend that. What you want to do is actually die owning it um, because what happens is when you die, the beneficiaries of your estate, they get your assets. They receive your assets. Their basis in those assets is fair market value. And the theory behind this is, is your estate would pay the tax on the assets. But for most people, that's not even an issue because the threshold to pay estate tax is $10 million. So as long as you have an estate less than 10 million bucks, you know, estate tax is not a worry. So think about that. You went from having super low basis, big tax problem, you die your kids inherit it. Their basis is fair market value. They could turn around and sell it that day and not pay a diamond tax. Okay. So, so it's better to, it's better to actually die owning the land and just make sure it's documented in a will that you want oh. and you, what you want done with it and who, who it goes to. Right. Yeah. For tax purposes. Absolutely. That is, I, that's that's like the holy grail. You just walked out of there, you know. You maybe 
you own this land forever. You did all these basis tricks with the timber and, um, bang, you leave it to your kids. And even if they don't want to hunt, they can turn around and sell it the next day and they don't have to pay any tax. And that's, uh, that's a good deal. Now, what about if the, um, like they, they, they inherit or they inherit it because of your death. They don't have to pay any taxes on the gains that they make from that. Well, so their basis would be whatever it is, fair market value. So say your basis was nothing, but it's fair market value on your day of death was a hundred grand. Their basis would be a hundred grand. So then if they owned it for another 10 years and they sold it for 120, they would have to pay the gain on the difference between 120 and a hundred. Gotcha. But if they, if they sold it, the only thing they have to make, they only, uh, that next day, the only thing that they would have to pay is the income tax. Any, any type of income tax? No, no. There would be none. Okay. No, because let's let's assume the fair market value is a hundred. They sell it the next day. They're going to sell it for a hundred because whatever right. you can sell it for the next day. So their basis is a hundred. They get a hundred grand, and you walk away with a hundred thousand uh, dollars tax free. And, and essentially, that's the same thing with if you had a hundred grand in your bank account. Um, there you don't. I guess on, at least from federal speaking, every state has little inheritance taxes. I know Pennsylvania has a little one. Um, but yeah, if you have less than $10 million of assets when you die and, and you can even get that to 20 million with some tricks they do, um, you don't have to worry about inheriting something and owing tax or even the person dying, having to pay tax on what they owe. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's a, that's pretty, that's a big thing. Uh, to know because if you try, you know, I mean, it's, it just saves you a ton of money. Oh, it, it's, and again, people, I see it happen quite often, especially, you know, people maybe that have half million dollar properties, uh, big, you know, chances are they're working with a professional and they have money. They're working with a professional on their taxes. So it doesn't happen to them, but people that have small chunks of land, you know, maybe only worth, Fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars. They're they're not maybe using CPAs to prepare their everyday tax return, so they don't consult a professional, whether it be a CPA or a lawyer. And yeah, they gift the kid to their or gift the land to their kid, and all of a sudden now the kid just has a really low basis in some hunting land. Yeah. So, what about? I don't know. Is this even legal to where? Let's say I had a. You know, I have a $100,000 farm and yeah. I say, well, I don't want it anymore because if I own it and I go into a nursing home, right. And, yeah. you know, like, cause I know a lot of people where I've seen this happen, right. The, the, mm-hmm. the farmer will have a shit ton of land. Um, but they have, let's say like Parkinson's or they have some kind of disease where, um, they may not be money in the bank rich but they are land rich so they can't afford to pay for the nursing home fees so they you know they slowly start to have to sell off that land and get and get that because let's say like in the state of Iowa if you can't afford it they'll go after your assets and then uh, then finally if all your assets are gone then the state will pay for your nursing home right uh, in certain instances yep. so let's say I, I I see I see my my kids see me that I'm sick right and we want to try to we still want the land in the family we don't have to we don't want to sell it 
uh, because we love the land. Can my kids buy that property from me for like a dollar? Um, so, well, first, yeah. So let's back up. You're, you're absolutely right. They have what they have. These, these states can come after your land, uh, nursing homes, whatever. They can come after your assets to fulfill your, uh, you know, medical bill. Right. So, and usually they have a clawback period. Every state's probably different. I, I hear a lot of times it's five years. Um, so if you do that the next day, you get sick and you do it, you did something like that the day before, then, uh, yes, they can come back and get your land. Um, so you'd probably have to check with a, like a state planning attorney to figure out what the clawback period is. But to your point, can you sell it to them for a dollar? Yeah, you could. Technically, what would it be if it's worth a hundred grand? Well, let's just say bigger numbers because this, that's who's going to do this. Five hundred thousand dollars, and you sell it to them for fifty. Um, it's technically going to be you're going to sell it for fifty and a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar gift. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the IRS is now again. You can make up to uh, ten million dollars in gifts in your lifetime, so it's not an issue there. The problem is your kids now have piece of land with essentially a $50,000 basis, but maybe it's better to keep it in. If it's, you know, Hey, my boy's a hunter. Uh, his boy's going to be a hunter. We want to keep this forever. Then yeah, it's worth it. Who cares what their basis is? Yeah. So, but yeah, a lot of times people have set up trusts, you know, where, uh, the land just goes into a trust and it'll stay there for, you know, however long the trust document says it's going to stay there. And then, um, then it maybe can go to the boys or your grandkids or what about, uh, yeah, that, that's something that, what, what was that? What about bankruptcy? Let's say a farmer, uh, cause I've, I've seen this happen in Iowa too, right? Where, uh, a farmer goes and puts, you know, every, every year he puts a ton of money into planning and let's say drought or flood or something, and, and I know there's there's crop insurance, but let's say something happens to where he he just goes upside down real fast uh, on a on a farm or cattle get sick and die, or so his his investment is squat and he has to file bankruptcy. Is there a way to protect your land uh, from getting basically repoed? and sold i would say farmer maybe would be tough but i would probably say if it's part of your personal residence uh you know if you buy a house with 50 acres on it that might be safe um again consult your local attorney but i would believe that would be a situation where because uh, usually they don't go after your personal residence so i think that would be a situation that could work gotcha okay yeah, just uh, you know, guy like me trying to figure out all the loopholes. <laughs> I know you don't like the term <laughs> loophole, but uh, trying to figure out all all that kind of stuff. Now, so in regards to handing land off to, let's say, children, how or, mm-hmm. or family, how far does that go? Uh, let's say if I have a third cousin, you know, like a third or fourth cousin's second child type of scenario, uh, can I can I gift? that person or do they have to be like blood relation no i mean you when you set up a will i mean you can give it to anybody you can give it to charity um yeah it doesn't the same with gifting um 
which is a little, you get things more like when you're alive, you're allowed to give $14,000 a year without reporting it to the IRS. If you give more than 14, you're required to fill like this tax return, which is not a really big deal because you're allowed to give up to 10 million in your life. Um, but you got to document it. So if you start giving away more than $14,000 a year, you got to file that return. So, but yeah, you can give it to anybody. Gotcha. Okay, cool, man. Well, I think we, I think we covered everything that, uh, that you wanted or that you emailed me. Is there anything else as far as a land owner or a land seller or, you know, someone who's getting ready to maybe, uh, give their land away that, uh, that we need to be aware of? I think, I think we did a great job uh, covering it. I mean, people have questions. I recommend consulting, you know, talk to somebody, call a CPA. Uh, they can even email me, uh, you know, just ask questions. You know, a lot of CPAs, especially in small town America, they're not going to charge you to ask, answer an email. So ask questions, make sure what you're doing is, is right. Cause you don't want to get in a situation where you shoot first and ask questions later. And you know, the tax man's coming. Right. Absolutely, man. Well, why don't you give everybody your email address so that if they do have any questions or concerns about maybe they're buying, selling property or, you know, tax time or whatever, uh, they can give you a call or an email. Yeah. Uh, my email is Dan Keller, K-E-L-L-E-R Jr. Just J-R though at gmail.com. Dan Keller Jr. at gmail.com. Yes, sir. All right, man. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, drop some knowledge bombs on us. <laughs> All right, man. So it was uh, great to be on. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I wish you the best. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another podcast in the books. Man, I'm keeping this outro very short because it's a Friday and I'm going to go spend some time with the family. So first off, thank you to all the partners of the podcast and thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in and downloading. And if you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.